Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. I wonder how many of you are disappointed that we didn't read all of Genesis 6, 9 through 8, 22. Well, hearing none, we will proceed with the sermon. This week I was in, introduced to a mom. Her name embodies what many of the moms I have known over the years. This mom is incredible. And I'm told her first name is Elastigirl. I think that may be appropriate because every mom I know gets stretched in directions she never thought imaginable. I know many incredible moms. And God has placed within moms a compound that can calm the wildest colic and remove the most stubborn smudge on a cheek or a forehead. This is a compound that God has not chosen to put within man, but every mom knows of that compound. Women possess a kiss that can heal the sorest boo-boo and dry the biggest tears whether they be physical or emotional tears. But this is not only Mother's Day. I look around and I see several high school seniors. And our high school seniors are being told, you can do anything you put your mind to. I don't want to harsh your mellow on this commencement day, but I do want to set you up for godly success. If you believe this lie, you are setting yourself up for discouragement, depression, and failures. You cannot do anything that you set your mind to, but 
you can do more than you think you can do. You can do more, but it, was, it will require your time. It will require hard work. And you will experience failures on the way. So don't allow the failure to define. Keep moving forward because you can do more than you think. But God has a plan for you. And you can't do what is outside of God's plan for your life. Moms and graduates. Today I'm going to take some of the pressure off of you. Because when we can admit that there are some problems that we just can't fix, we give God room to do what only He can. The early chapters of Genesis reveal just such a problem and what God does to fix it. Genesis chapter 6 through 8 tells us that there is a problem that even a mom can't fix. But God can. In verses 11 through 13 of Genesis chapter 6, we have in front of us a pronouncement. The pronouncement from God is when he looked out over the earth, he saw evil. And even a mom can't solve evil. Even a graduate can't solve evil. Evil was a very real existence. Because we live in a world where some things are black, some things are white, some things are gray. The world around us is filled with moral choices, immoral choices, and sometimes amoral options. The Bible reading this week had me in, in my personal reading, in the later chapters of Romans, where we are instructed to bear with the weaknesses of others. Because there are some things that are um, right for us and wrong for others. There are some things that are right for others and wrong for us. But the scripture does give warning to those who would call good evil and those who would call evil good. And in the days of Noah, men and women were living evil and they thought, this is as good as it gets. And God says, if you think this is right, it's time for a cosmic do-over. See, Genesis 6 clearly draws some lines, and it separates mankind into two groups. One group is those who would escape from the flood. This group includes Noah, his three sons, and their four wives. Not four per son, just four total. Noah, the one who escaped out of the wicked evilness of the world, is described in the scripture as being righteous, as being blameless, as being one who walked with God. I would not be offended if that was on my tombstone. In contrast, 
Those of the world are described as those who perish. All the earth, all flesh on the earth, besides those eight, were corrupt and violent. There are times when God sends His followers into dark places to proclaim salvation. There are times when God sends us to shine light. There are times when God sends us to season the world with acts of goodness, that they would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. But the scene today in Genesis 6, 7, 8 points to a worldwide purge. There's no light that could be sent into this base world. There's no seasoning that could overcome this wicked and corrupt and vile world. Sometimes all the optimism in the world is not enough to turn a situation around and God determined it's time to wipe out the wickedness and to start again with the eight who are in the ark. There is a sin that leads to death and there is a sin that does not lead to death. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit the sins that do not lead to death. But on the contrary, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that anyone should pray for it. Sometimes sin is so wicked, so evil, so corrupt, that taking one out of this world is the best option. And God saw that the wickedness was spreading around the earth, and he determined it's time to wipe out all flesh except for the eight and to start over. There have been, there will be situations where the best thing for the individual and for those around them is to take them out of this world. And that's what God determined here in Genesis chapter 6. But even in situations where we see God's discipline exercised in this way, God remains merciful to all who call upon his name. That's something you can write down. God remains merciful to all who call on his name. Because after he makes the pronouncement, then God provides a protection. The protection is in the ark itself. Now, um, this is giveaway Sunday. Not only do all women receive a gift from the church... But I have a trivia question, and the first person to answer the question receives a gift from me. The question is this, how many and what are the arcs mentioned in the Bible? How many arcs and what are they? Anyone want to venture a guess? Two is wrong. Anyone else want to venture a guess? One. 
One is wrong. I heard it over here. I heard a three. Three is correct. Do we know what the three arcs are? The Ark of the Covenant is one of them. Someone's feeding her answers, but that's okay. The Ark of the Covenant is one of the three. What's the second ark? Noah's Ark. And what is the third ark? Nope. It has to do with the Nile River and a little baby. Moses was placed in an ark. So there are three places the Bible mentions an ark in the basket. So, Olivia, come on up here. This may be a little bit old for you to read, but whoever was feeding you answers may enjoy this. This is Arthur Pink's book, Gleanings in Exit, or Gleanings in Genesis. I have it as an electronic version, so I'm giving away my paper version. But you are the winner of Gleanings in Genesis, and you can learn all about the ark in chapter 14 of that book. The ark was God's provision for man. He says, I'm going to wipe out the wickedness, but even as I am wiping out the wickedness, I will provide protection. The ark was not Noah's idea. The ark was, was not God's response to Noah's question. Verses 13 and 14 are separated by a period. But they're the same paragraph and they seem to flow in a single breath. Sometimes we get to the end of our rope and then we look to God for help. But God provided the plan, God provided the protection for Noah a hundred years before the first drop of rain. Similarly, God's purpose before the foundations of the world was to redeem man. God's merciful provision to protect man has always been in the mind of God. It existed before the rain for Noah. It existed before creation for you and for me that God provides a way. Because we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before God in love. Christ's sacrifice was paid for you before you ever took your first breath. Because God made provision for your protection before we even realized that we needed it. God is a merciful God who provides protection. But I also notice as I look at this ark, not only did God provide it, but and the ark, as described in Genesis 6, required death. Because the boat was made from wood. And I don't know anybody who uses live trees to make boats the trees had to be felled and had to be shaped before they could be put together before they could be put together in the form of the ark the bible tells us that oftentimes death must happen for life to happen seeds must die in order for them to reproduce 
Jesus said in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, that the life comes after death. The life of the ark came after the death of the tree. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Death is required in order for life. We also see in John chapter 15, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So we see it in the ark and we see it in Jesus that death has to happen in order for life and protection and provision that we see in the scriptures. So God provided the ark. The ark required death. A third thing about the ark that I find rather amazing is that the ark was covered in pitch on the inside and the outside. Now this word pitch that is described for us in front of us, it's a word that, uh, that occurs in the Hebrew 70 times, and this is the only time it's ever translated as pitch. The rest of the times that this word occurs in Hebrew, it simply means the covering or the atonement. So if we use that translation of the word, God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark out of dead trees, and then on the outside you are to apply a covering, and on the inside you are to apply a covering. The, word, the wood was covered inside and out. Those who were inside saw the covering and were, remi- and were reminded that it was the covering that would keep the waters from overtaking the vessel. And God saw the covering from the outside and it was a reminder that the people on the inside were protected by the covering that he provided. And the people in the water, we can only presume because the Bible doesn't talk about them, they saw the dead wood covered by the covering and they knew that their wickedness was exposed. Just like Adam and Eve when they were sinned. See, the boat was made of wood, but it was covered on the outside so that all that looked in saw the covering. The boat was made of wood, but it was covered on the inside of the wall so that all who were in saw the covering as they looked out. A beautiful picture for us of those who are in Christ, as we read in the New Testament. Those who are in in Christ are those who are covered by his blood. Because as God looks at me, he doesn't see David with good, bad, and indifferent behaviors. He sees the blood of Christ that covers David. And as I look out, I don't see the wickedness that I have committed. I see the blood of Christ that covers all my sins. Just as the ark, God's provision, was covered inside and out so that everybody who saw it saw the covering, for us, it is the blood of Christ 
that we see as we look towards God and that He sees as He looks towards us. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. So I have it called pitch or you can write it. It's the covering is the word that is used everywhere else. God provided it. It required death. It was covered on the inside and outside. And fourthly, I noticed this ark had one door with two sides. Sometimes when we read familiar stories in the Bible, we tend to skim over the text and we imagine that we know what is there. You have heard Noah's flood so many times. Once you start chapter 6, it's kind of like chapter 8, chapter 9. And we tend to skim over if we think we know what's already there. But this week I read chapter 6, 7, and 8 with fresh eyes. And I notice that something is missing from the way I had it pictured in my imagination. Because there is no mention in these three chapters of the evil people taunting Noah as he built the ark. When I heard it in Sunday school, I heard it took, it took Noah a hundred years to build the ark. And as he was building, all the wicked people of the society were making fun of him. Ah, oh, look at foolish Noah. He's building an ark. It's never rained. <laughs> what in the world is he building? Those people aren't in the Bible story. It doesn't mention anything about wicked people taunting Noah. Also, There is no mention in these three chapters of people floating in the water, banging on the ark to be let in. See, those things may have happened, but we're not told that they did or did not. But regardless of people's actions during the construction or their despair after the rain started, the truth is that the ark had but one door. And it was God who shut that door. Some of you learned a song that I learned when I was a child. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. Inside and outside, on which side are you? One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside, on which side are you? See, Noah's Ark had but one door. And Jesus is the one way to the Father. Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus speaking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. There's one way of salvation. There was one door on the ark. And those who did not come through the one door that God had provided and that God closed up, all life was destroyed on the earth. But we're not worried about floods, are we? So we need to think about the third verse of that same song, which tells us, One book and only one, which tells of places too. Good place or bad place, on which place choose you? One book and only one, which tells the place is true. I choose the good place, 
and which place choose you? See, the ark had one door. Salvation is available through one Savior. And it's your choice. Are you in or are you out? See, our world has many philosophies. It has many religions. It has many ideas. It offers many options. But when it comes to pleasing God and being saved, He has only provided one Savior For it was Jesus himself who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, we have become spoiled by instant rice, instant potatoes, heat and serve meals, freezer burritos, And while God provides protection, sometimes the journey to the other side takes longer than we like. See, not only have we seen God's pronouncement and God's protection, but I also think the chapter in front of us tells us about God's process. And sometimes God's process is longer than than we want. Mothers here this morning are intimately aware of lengthy processes. How quick did he learn to sleep through the night? How quickly did she teethe? How quickly did he learn to walk? How quickly did she learn the bedtime routines? How quickly did they get through the terrible twos? Threes, fours, and fives. How quickly did they learn those music lessons, plinking on the violin or the clarinet or the piano? How quickly, and I'll use this one as a she, how quickly did she get through adolescence? And etc. See, sometimes the process takes a lot longer than we thought. But just because God is involved in the process doesn't mean God hasn't provided our protection. And I look at the process of this flood, and I see at least four different lengths of time that many of us would tend to overlook. For if I ask you, how long was Noah's flood? You would answer... 40 days and 40 nights. What if I were to tell you that Genesis chapter 7 verse 10 says, after God shut the door, they were on the tarmac for seven days before the first drop of rain ever happened. Imagine the seven-day wait. Noah, I've been obedient to the Lord to do exactly what He asked Every step of the way, for the last hundred years, I've been building this boat. I got all the animals together, just as he said. He closed up the door. All right, God, send the rain. Nothing on day one. Nothing on day two. Nothing on day three. About this time, I think... Mrs. of Ark is probably asking Noah if he got the message right. 
nothing on day four. Finally, after seven days, the rains begin to fall. The waters begin to open up. So seven days on the tarmac, followed by the 40 days of flood. You, you, you got that one right. Verse 12 of chapter 12. We've heard this one often enough. 40 days, 40 nights of flood. We, we don't catch this as a, as a surprise. But at the end of 40 days of rain, what happened? Verse 24 tells us that they continued to float for 150 days. Five months. No rudder, no sail, no Ebenrude, not a single luxury. Five months floating. I think that would try anyone's patience and anyone's sanity. So here's my question. I've started with a seven-day wait, a 40-day rain, a 150-day float. I've got one more book that I'm going to give away. This is a Tyndale Old Testament commentary on Genesis, and it goes to the first person who can tell me how many days in total was Noah in the ark. 197 is not correct. <laughs> Any other guesses? How many days? We're getting close. How many? 325. Getting closer. 197. 205. Here, here's the key. And, uh, because I want you to know how to find answers in your own Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, and find out what day it was. Then look at Genesis chapter 8, verses 13 and 14, and find out what day it was. 7, 11, 8, 13. It was one... Anyhow, all right. So open answer. I'll let you come to me later. First person coming to you with the answer, you get the book. Because we did have the 7, the 40, the 150, but we also see that it took 178 days for the waters to fade. After the boat landed on the top of the mountain, it still took another 178 for it to drain. So they were waiting for the waters to recede. Because, you know, we like instant. We like quick. We like 40 days in and out. All right, God, I've learned my lesson. Let's go. And sometimes God has a longer lesson that we need to learn. There are times where it seems like your children will never grow up. Oh, I expected an amen. There are times when it seems like graduation will never get here. But mothers can attest that the 18 to 20 years between diapers and diploma just seems like a blur. In many ways, it seems like yesterday. And the time between our crying out to God for mercy and God's ultimate deliverance leaves us calling, Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long ere we hear the glad song? 
But when our salvation is complete and we see his loving face, it will be worth it all. And the journey will seem so brief. From this side, it seems like a process that takes too long. From that side of glory, it will seem instant and quick. But this epic concludes with two promises. The first promise is that God would never again treat mankind the way he did in this place. God does not say that evil would not permeate humanity again. We see wicked. We see corrupt. We see violence. Because God says, even though I won't wipe him out again, God says, I realize that evil is in the heart of man from the very beginning. But God promises his restraint. He admits that evil can be found in the heart of man from his early days. And the promise that God makes is that he will not destroy his creation or the image bearers in the same way again. And next week, Lord willing, we will look more at God's covenant of restraint and what it means for God to restrain and look to a future deliverance. Not only does God promise his restraint, but God also promises revolving seasons. For look with me at chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. This is revisiting Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, where God says, I will put the sun and the moon in the skies for signs and for seasons. You can trust that life is going to go ahead. The revolving seasons invites man to look forward. If there were no harvest, then sowing becomes rather meaningless. And much apocalyptic literature is filled with the doom of the earth as we know it. But God promises we have reason to look forward. We have reason to be productive. We have reason to craft the items that he creates. We have reason to build and to contribute towards the flourishing of others. God says, after they came to stop on the mountain, the waters receded. God says, all right, now you can leave the boat. And I'm telling you, there's work to do. And we need to look forward and we need to continue to work. Because the ark that God provided for Noah protected his family from the wrath of wickedness. And the ark of salvation provides for us protection from his wrath upon sin at the great judgment. When we think of the flood, we should not focus on boats and animals. When we look at the flood, we should see the merciful protection that God provides for all who are in Christ. For all who call upon the name of the Lord. Because as the highlighting comment says at the bottom of your outline, 
God graciously provides a solution for the evil in the world and the evil that is in our hearts. It's only when our hearts are covered with the blood of Christ that he sees us as righteous. It's only when God views those who are covered in the blood of Christ that he says, that one is safe. I invite you to stand with me as we respond to God's gracious gift.